kind of what was the last time when you were uh, when you found something utterly compelling? Compelling. We live in an era and uh, and day of content and entertainment. There's lots of stuff, isn't there, to fill our minds and our eyes and our earballs and all that sort of stuff. But uh, not much of it is utterly compelling. That thing that you must see, that you must engage with, that you must learn, that you must drill down on, that you must get all the information about. You know those experiences where you, you, you find something utterly compelling and you lose yourself in what that thing is. You just simply must pay attention to it. We all know that feeling because the idea of being compelled or finding something compelling is a, is a human characteristic. A way of describing it might be like, like this. It's a, it's a self-imposed stress that, that demands that we do something. Demands that we say something. Demands that we be somewhere or, or be with someone. And you might say that negative stress comes at us from the outside, an obligation or something we must do from outside. A boss tells us what to do or, 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 or someone in the community says you must do this. But to be compelled is to find that same sort of pressure or stress coming from within and to find ourselves compelled is something that Christ does for us in this passage. Uh, today we're going to kick off what will be for the next three weeks as well, four weeks in total. We're going to look at this topic, Compelled by Christ. But it's that title that I want, to look, want us to look at this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Compelled by Christ. We want to be, people, we want to be people compelled by Christ, compelled by Christ to act. And we'll see over the next few weeks to develop compelling community and finding ourselves compelling change and a compelling confidence to live in this world. So I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to have a look just at these couple of verses, particularly verse 14 and 15. So if you've got your Bible there, uh, focus in on just verses 14 and 15. Let me pray and we'll have a look together. Heavenly Father, be with us on this kickoff Sunday. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and to enjoy each other's company. Uh, and to spend time, most importantly, in your word. And we pray now that you would help us, uh, give us uh, the, uh, the marching orders we need as the people of God in this place to, uh, to move forward in the year ahead. We ask, please, uh, Heavenly Father, that you might teach us clearly by your word and help us to be impacted all the way to the heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you could imagine what it might be like to have been in Jesus as he wandered around in his ministry in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. Imagine what it must have been like as he taught and healed so many different people that people literally flocked to see him, crowds massing around him. Imagine what that must be like. There are some people, aren't there, in our community who experience that sort of thing. They're famous people and famous people have people flock to them and perhaps really famous people have lots of people flock to them and, and rub shoulders with them. We found an experience just this week. My, uh, the boys and I went to the cricket and we went and got some food from Fox Studios just beforehand or whatever it's called now, the entertainment board. Uh, and we found a very famous person. We just stumbled across them. It was this person. I don't know if you can see them on the screen. Does anyone know who that is? That is Paul Rudd. That's the Ant-Man. And we turned up at, a, uh, at the 
opening of this particular movie. It was the premiere and people had been out from four in the morning waiting for Paul Rudd to be there. We just turned up and showed up and stood there and then walked off later. Um, it was sort of impressive to us, but for these people, they flocked to it. Now, they're flocking to this important person is way more sanitised, of course, than it was in Jesus' day. Railings and security guards and people with things in their ears and all sorts of stuff. But in Jesus' day, Jesus was wandering around with his disciples as his entourage. Not particularly exciting and not particularly safe. They weren't, they weren't trained security guards. They didn't know what they were doing. But on one particular occasion in Luke chapter 8, we're told that Jesus is on his way to the house of Jairus to help Jairus' daughter. And he had to almost push his way through the crowd. And as he does, a a lady who'd been bleeding for 12 years touches the edge of Jesus' cloak, is immediately healed, and then slinks away back into the crowd. And Jesus says this, look on your outline in Luke chapter 8, verse 45. Who touched me? That's a really dumb question, isn't it? Who touched me? There are so many people around Jesus. They don't have the sanitised barrier lines like they had at Fox Studios. Who touched me is a silly question. And when they all denied it, Peter piped up and said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. They're pressing against you. There's a a pressure on Jesus. Everyone is pressing against you. This pressing word that we have here that you can... Picture its feeling as people are pressing in on Jesus is the same word in the biblical languages for what it means to be compelled. A a pressing from within, a pressing on us is what it means to be compelled. We feel it and we feel it from within. Look at these other two examples, Acts chapter 18. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. The devoted word there is exactly the same. Pressed from within, compelled, compelled to preach. And then perhaps even more clearly, Philippians 1.23, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, Paul says in Philippians 1, that the tearing, that feeling from within. He doesn't know what to do, but he's, he's pressed on from within. And this is the word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for us to be compelled or controlled. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us or compels us. We are compelled by Christ. Compelled by Christ. Compelled by the love of Christ. It's the love of Jesus that gives us that gut-wrenching pressure that we cannot ignore. It is the love of Christ that gives us our reason to act. Are you compelled by the love of Christ? Compelled to act because of the love of of Christ, or have you lost the sense of being compelled by Christ? You might find that from time to time, and we all go through these ups and downs, but perhaps you're in a moment right now where, where church is a chore for you. 
or your Bible reading is flat, or your heart for evangelism is, is gone, or your Christian service has become less service and more obligation, and for a time we can be motivated by these things. Obligation and duty and habit and requirement, they're all good things in a tough time to keep the ball rolling spiritually. That's a good thing. But it's only okay for a time. In the end, we are compelled by the love of Christ. It is the love of Christ that compels us. His love for us that results in us loving him. We love because he first loved us. And this results in our whole life changing. We find, don't we, that we're so easily cooled from being compelled by the love of Christ. We all need regular reminders about the love of Christ so that we're not easily cooled. I wonder if you've thought about life in these sorts of terms before. But over the holiday break, I read this helpful book. It's by Carl Dienick. It's called Gathered Together, The Beauty of Living as God's Church. And he puts it this way. He says, if you were to take all of the regular waking hours of your week, it would number about 112 hours in the week. And the amount of time that we spend in, in church or Bible study combined... <clears throat> would amount to 3% of your week. 3%. If you attend church and attend a small group or attend church and go to youth group, it's 3% of your week. The other 97% of your waking hours are scattered doing whatever God has set for you in the world. We need to remind each other of the love of Christ in those 3% of, of the hours that we get to spend together. Thankfully, it's not too warm today. But take an ice cube today and it will still melt relatively quickly. Imagine that today, at the beginning of our time together, we got an ice cube and we took it out of the freezer and we worked out how long our sessions were today until 2 o'clock when we leave this place and we only put the ice cube in the freezer for 3% of the time and left it out of the freezer for 97% of the time. Imagine what would happen to that ice cube. It's not hard to work out, is it? The ice cube would be easily warmed. It would, it would change. It would not be frozen any longer. And for us, we need to focus on the love of Christ so that we do not melt away in that other 97% of our life. It's easy for us to be compelled by Christ when we're hearing regularly about the love of Christ for us. And yet, when we are compelled by Christ, this is not just a feeling that we have in our heart. It's also something we can know and be convinced of and find authentic. Paul talks about this further on in verse 14. Look at it there. <laughs> For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. We have concluded this. One has died for all, therefore all have died. We're not just compelled 
by Christ, but we are compelled because of Christ. Paul here speaks a truth. <clears throat> One has died for all. Jesus has died for all. We know this from the scriptures, don't we? That the death of Jesus shows us the love of God. We know the love of God because Jesus has died for us. That's how we know forgiveness. That's how we know new life. That's how we know relationship with God and assurance of faith in the face of death. And it's not just a philosophy or a way of life, it's a fact, a reality, something that can be concluded from evidence. And Paul has investigated it and concluded it, that one has died for all, Jesus has died for all. <clears throat> These days, people seem to reject the Christian faith for all sorts of reasons, don't they? They reject the Christian faith because... Well, it's just not interesting. It's boring to them. Well, they reject the Christian faith because it takes up too much time in life. It dominates life. Or they reject the Christian faith because it has unpopular teachings. Or they reject the Christian faith because they've been hurt by other Christians in the past and the list could go on. But for the Apostle Paul, the only reason to reject the Christian faith is if it is not true. If it is not true. And here Paul says, it has proven to be true. We have concluded this, that one has died for all. We are compelled by Christ and we are compelled because of Christ. Now you might be sitting there today thinking, well this is nothing new. This is not rocket science. Well that's true. In the 3% that we have week to week together, we need to remind ourselves of these facts. The facts that are true. The truth about Jesus, his death on the cross, that he died for you as an expression of his love for you and gave you forgiveness and new life and relationship with God. And we need to know this over and over and over again. Not only because it warms our heart, but also because this is the way we will find ourselves able to act in this world for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his cause. It's the only way to be compelled is to hear the message of the cross over and over and over again. See, sometimes we find ourselves, don't we, in a bit of a spiritual funk. We find ourselves going through those spiritual lows and we try to find our way out of those spiritual lows and perhaps we do it with uplifting music or, or we want to get a hold of some, some uh, deeply emotional preaching or a conference high we go to a conference and enjoy the high of that but the scriptures tell us clearly we go back to the source the cross of Christ the love of Christ we're compelled by Christ and compelled because of Christ or thirdly we're compelled for Christ. Look at verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. When Jesus died, those who belonged to Jesus died along with him. What does that mean? Well, it means our old way of life, our selfish, self-centered way of life, our way of life, which was about commending ourselves, as verse 12 talks about, that way of life died. And our new way of life was born. 
It's really true to say that if you're a follower of Jesus, then your eternal life started when you were converted, not sometime in the future. Because your new life, your new self has been born. If you've got your Bible there, look down to verse 17 of this passage. We didn't have it read. But this is Paul's conclusion. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. We no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live to uh, commend ourselves, but for him who who died and was raised For us, this is a biblical theme, isn't it? Look at the two other passages, and we could put more that are in your outline. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And in 1 Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Our old way of life has gone. We've died with him and now our life is devoted to the one who died and was raised for us. We give our lives over to him. We live for him. Now this is hard, isn't it? Really hard to live for him in that 97% of our lives which is out there in the world. Over the holiday period, I've been able to see a few bands play, which has been great with, uh, with my boys. And we went uh, a, a, few, a month or so ago and saw some bands. Mackay came as well, Mackay and Bannon and Lathan and myself. We went and saw uh, a band and uh, you know what my musical styles are like, so I won't share the music with you. Uh, but they do these sorts of things at these sorts of concerts called circle pits. I'm not sure if you've ever seen them before, so if you haven't, look to the screen. I've cut the actual volume out of this so you can't see it. But it's just idiots running around in a circle. Big and open and idiots running around in a circle. Now, that concert is uh, pretty full on and uh, lots of people in that circle pit. And sometimes it's a bit more aggressive even than that. And they're just running around in a circle, sort of bumping into each other and doing whatever they can. it sounds great. It does sound great. It is. It's very great. It's really, really fun. But one of the things I really like doing as a bit of a, uh, uh, a troublemaker is I like deliberately jumping in those uh, circle pits and going in the opposite direction <laughs> uh, just to annoy people, basically, because uh, I think they're all poses and I just want to go and pose in the opposite direction. But uh, that's what I really love to do. Now, maybe that's just dumb, but as I was standing there in one of those circle pits in the last couple of months... I was there thinking, this is a great metaphor for the Christian life. It is. Think about it for a minute. As those people go around in a circle, they're all going in exactly the same direction, aren't they? They're all following each other, going around and around and around in the same direction. And as we step out into a hostile world on our 97%, the rest of our life, we step out into a world that's all going around and around in a circle, one direction towards destruction. It's what the scriptures teach us. And even though that world that's going in that direction looks uh, enticing and looks fun and looks exciting and looks to have life sorted out, we know from the scriptures that that circle is going to destruction. 
And the Christian life encourages us to step out into that world and to walk in the opposite direction. The love of Christ compels us to walk in the opposite direction. The world around us is living for self, living to commend ourselves. But we, we are to be people who are to be raised up and strengthened to serve Him who for their sake died and was raised, to walk in the opposite direction. Now that's why I think that's such a good example. Don't think for a moment that walking in the opposite direction is easy. Sometimes get belted up. It's partly what I like it for, but you sometimes get beaten up. It's sometimes hard. It's certainly difficult. It's hard to find your path as other people feel like they're pummeling you in the opposite direction. But this is the Christian life. Why would we do something like that? Why would we act in such a way? It just seems stupid. Well, the reason is because we're compelled by Christ and compelled because of Christ and compelled for Christ. We've died to our old way of life and we have started living for Christ a new way of life, not because we're obligated to, not because we have to, but because it's an inward burden given to us by Christ, compelled by him who for our sake died and was raised. And so if you don't feel that sense of compulsion to act for Christ and to walk in that opposite direction as hard as it is, know this, the way to fix that problem is to focus on the cross of Christ. That is the way you will find the compulsion to act in this world for the cause of Christ. Well, finally, what does it look like? If you do have that inner sense of compulsion, compelled by Christ and because of Christ and compelled for Christ, what, what are we to do? How are we to act? What does it mean to walk in that opposite direction? Well, that's our second reading, and I'm just going to touch on this a little bit this morning uh, and then over the next few weeks. This is Christ's compelling commission. He gives us our marching orders as we step out into that 97% world. And he steps out, uh, we step out into that world with his marching orders to make disciples. Yes, that is in part to help those who aren't Christians to become followers of Jesus, to glorify God and to avoid the perils of life without him. But the Great Commission is not just about making new Christians. That's only half the story. It's not a Great Commission. It's a half commission. That's the baptise people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit part. But, but it's also teaching others to obey all that Jesus has commanded. In the words of 2 Corinthians 5, it's verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We persuade people to turn from not being a follower of Jesus to being a follower of Jesus. We persuade others who are stagnant in their Christian faith to start growing in their Christian faith. We persuade others who are growing to keep growing. We persuade one another to stick with Christ. We're compelled to speak. Remember those words from St. Francis of Assisi? They are attributed to him anyway. Share the gospel and at all times, and if necessary, use words. <laughs> what an unchristian statement that is. No, the tools we have are our words. 
The tools we have are our words. We persuade others. The Christian, uh, the non-Christian becoming a Christian, but the Christian growing in Christ. You and I together, today, this very day, have words that we can use to persuade others. And we can use them so that we can help others to grow in Christ, compelled by Christ, and to continue to be compelled by Christ. The landing point for our words is people's hearts. And so today, and each time we gather together in that 3% of your week, your words are valuable, deeply valuable, as you seek to persuade others of Jesus Christ and his impact in their life. Your words can help to remind or to teach or to encourage or to educate or to just lift up. Your words can be singing like you mean it or planning to talk to a specific person about how they're going in their faith or to seek out the needy, those who are in spiritual need and in that spiritual funk to lift them out. Your words can be to recognise who are not with us today and to follow up those who aren't here. Your words can be to persuade all of these to move just one step further in their relationship with Christ. This is our commission. And then it's the same commission as we head out into the circle pit of the 97% of life. Yes, it's about going to non-Christians and sharing with them what it is that we value about Christ, why Christ is so compelling, persuading them and inviting them, and we'll do some more of that over the next few weeks and tomorrow night at our training. But it's also true in our homes. As we use our words to increase the spiritual temperature of our households, sharing with those in our households why we live the way we do, why our lives are changed by Jesus. We use these words wherever we go to speak of Jesus and to persuade others. This is Christ's compelling commission for us. Well, this morning, I've endeavoured to show you nothing new. (coughs) I've endeavoured to show you that we are compelled by Christ and because of Christ and for Christ and to be sent on Christ's compelling commission. But together, we need to work on this. Together, we need to step out into that world. Together, when we walk into that circle pit of the 97% of life and see others walking in the same direction as us, there is where we will find the encouragement to continue on and to continue to be compelled by Christ.